I hope you meant that as you sang it, because it's a beautiful truth that uh, often we need to remind ourselves of, isn't it? That God never fails. Today's scripture reading is going to come out of a letter to the church in Thessalonica. It's from a guy named Paul. He helped to start this church uh, in a roughly month-long missionary journey to the area. And uh, we're going to read a little bit about his response to a report from Timothy who tells him in the face of severe persecution and extreme trials, this brand new church that's roughly a month, uh, that he only spent a month with, that this new church is thriving under the leadership of the Holy Spirit as well as Timothy there with him. And so he gets this wonderful report and he writes back to them. And we're just going to read a small little section. Actually, it's going to be even smaller than the section you see on the screen. We're going to pick up in chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 12, not verse 6. So that I changed that kind of last minute because I wanted to really focus in on these two verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. So read this with me. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Hey, as you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today. So all of our kiddos who are four years old through second grade can head over right over here to our Kingdom Kids workers. They're going to have a chance to go learn and worship at their level, and they're going to be in our education downstairs over here, and uh, right where our nursery is located, and we're grateful for our Kingdom Kids ministry and our workers, and they're going to have a wonderful time over there together, and we are going to continue in our sermon series that has been taking us through the New Testament as we are reading the Bible together. So if you're not on our Bible reading plan and you don't have a Bible reading plan, I encourage you to grab one. I think I got a copy here. Looks like this. We got them in the foyer and in the back. So grab one of these on your way out and jump in. Just pick up where we're at. It's dated so you can see. Start reading tomorrow. It's a Monday through Friday plan. But each week, something uh, we've read, I preach out of. And we're in kind of this section where we're reading shorter letters in the New Testament. And so I've just been preaching a sermon on the whole letter. So we're going to try to get a big picture of what 1 Thessalonians is about today. And then we're going to try to get a big picture of what 2 Thessalonians, because Paul writes a second letter. We're going, to re, we're going to talk about that next week, okay? So that's just a little preview, all right? So let's just pause and let's pray together before we dive into God's Word. Would you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that in your wisdom you have given us not just a book, but the Bible, Scripture, Holy Scripture, your words that your Spirit inspired humans to write that we might have from you encouragement, comfort, challenge, correction. And this letter is filled with all of those things. And so we're just grateful that we can come to your holy word today and receive from you what you would have to give to us. So with that in mind, Father, I pray that you would help our minds to be clearly on what you have to say to us, that we would be able to uh, through the help of your spirit to, to block out the distractions and just think clearly about your word and what you want to speak to us. Father God, I pray that you'd soften our hearts because 
how often we hear your word, but it lands on, on hard soil, as Jesus talked about in his parable. May our hearts not be that hard soil. May we be the soft, fertile soil that's ready to receive what you have to say to us, but may it not end there. May we take in your word today, God, that we might go from this place and live it out with the help of your spirit in our lives so we, that we might be able to take what you share with us and apply it to our lives, even today. <clears throat> we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you go and look at Acts chapter 17, you will see the beginning of this church. As I just mentioned with you, we read there that a guy named Paul, Paul was an enemy of the church early on. He persecuted the church early on because he was a devout Jewish man who was in a very strict religious sect called the, the Pharisees. And he was, he was so on board with the Pharisees that anything that even seemingly contradict what they believed, he went after. And this new movement, uh, sometimes called the way, this new movement following the ways and teachings of Jesus went against his worldview and how he saw things. And, and, and that's, that's how the gospel hits every single one of us, is, is we have a way of seeing the world and interpreting the world and living in the world, and then God hits us with the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done and the life he has called us to. And so it hits Paul on the way, ironically, to persecute more Christians and to try to shut down more churches. This word comes to Paul. And as John, the Gospel of John tells us, this word, the word of God, the message of God became flesh and God himself stepped into earth, out of heaven, onto earth, the person of Jesus. Jesus comes to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul is radically converted to Christianity. And then he receives a commission to go and share this good news with others. To tell the world. And, and he goes from town to town, just like he did in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. And he goes and tells them, hey, let, let me tell you about this Jesus. He is, for the Jewish person, he was able to say to them, this Jesus, he's the guy we've been waiting for. You know how, you know how we messed up all of God's plans for us? And so it seemed like we were just you know, up a creek without a paddle. And God said, don't worry, I'm able, I'm able to fix all things. I'm able to straighten out all crooked things, even you. I, can, I, can, I have a plan, and I'm going to execute that plan, and I'm going to send someone, someone to clean up your mess, to make the world right, and to, and to usher in a new heavens and a new earth, a new kingdom, where everything sad becomes untrue, where all peace reigns on earth, where justice is done fully and completely. And so, so God sent Jesus to do those things. Paul begins to understand this is who Jesus is, and he begins to share this with others, and he began with the Jewish people because Jesus was the fulfillment of their hopes for someone who would sit on the throne of David, be the king that everybody needed. And Jesus, the term, the phrase we sometimes use, Jesus Christ, or Jesus the Messiah. Christ, Messiah is the same word, one in Greek, one in Hebrew. And it means the same idea. He is the anointed one of God. In other words, anointing means chosen and favored. He is the one God has chosen and favored to carry out this task because he is God in the flesh. Yes, separate from the Father, they're not the same. But the Father sent the Son into the world. And after the Son ascended to be with the Father, you read about that in Acts 1, 
the Holy Spirit comes down to be with us. And so Jesus himself said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the way that Jesus sends us is through the work of the Spirit in the church and through the believers that make up that church. And so Paul is, Paul is going from town to town explaining these things, and he starts in the Jewish synagogue, and he does that for three consecutive weeks. So he's, he's there roughly a month in the city of Thessalonica sharing these things with the people. Not only do some of the Jewish folks hear it and believe it, because he's in the synagogue, which is a lot like a church for the Jewish folks. He's in the synagogue. He's teaching them these things. But word is also getting out because he's sharing it with Gentiles. Gentiles are just people who are not Jewish, right? So Jews and Gentiles alike are responding to the message of Jesus. And the thing that stirred it up the most in Thessalonica was that what we read in Acts 17, verse 7, is that the accusation against Paul is, and it's a true accusation, is that Paul is telling people that there is another king besides Caesar. You see, in that day and time, Rome ruled the world. And Rome had something called a Caesar who was in charge. He was the king over all the land, and it stretched very far, all the way over into these areas uh, of the world. And, and Paul is rightly teaching them, remember that idea, Christ, Messiah, anointed one, king, who, who is going to sit on the throne of David, who is the king of all kings. Paul's saying these things, and they are rightly hearing him, and they're saying, well, if that means that Jesus is king, that means he supersedes all others in authority. And to Rome, that sounds like a threat. And Thessalonica, being a good Roman town, saw it as such. And so what do they do? They begin to persecute, and they have plans to kill Paul. And Paul just barely gets out of town with his life. Now, he, is, he has begun this church in just a month's time, and so he, he has to leave, but he, his mind is still on them. You'll hear him say that in the letter as you read it. We had to leave physically, but our hearts were still with you. We were still present, loving you, caring about you, wanting to see you progress and move forward as a church. And so, so Paul, is, 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 he's concerned about them. He's so concerned, and he can't get back to the city for fear of persecution. Not that he was fearful of dying, but he knew that God had more work for him to do. So Paul says... I'm going to send my best guy, Timothy, to go and help this church and work with him. And, and Timothy comes back to Paul and says, man, I've got a good report. They're doing awesome. They're doing so well. And, and, and so Paul and Timothy are rejoicing together. Uh, but there are still some concerns in the church. There's still some confusion in the church. There, there's still uh, the threat of persecution. They're going through it. It's not that the church is succeeding and excelling because life is easy. It's quite the opposite of that. Paul gets the report that persecution is hard, but these Christians are tougher because of the God that they believe in, the spirit that resides in them. They are stronger than the opposition. And so they have this great report, but Paul writes back. And I want to share with you three, three things that stand out in the letter to the church in Thessalonica. Three themes that we find here that he wants to emphasize to them that I think could be of benefit to us. It is the holiness with which the Christian is to live. It is the hopefulness that the Christian ought to have. And it is the love that the Christian ought to display. I'm not going to take them in that order, though. I want to take them in the order. It just sounded a little bit better. You know what I'm saying? Holiness, 
hopefulness and love. Okay, it sounded a little bit better, flows a little bit better. But in reality, what Paul lays out for us is in a little bit of a different order. He begins with holiness, then he talks about love, then he talks about hope. But let, let me start with kind of a probably what Thessalonica, the, church, the letter to the church of Thessalonica. Let me start with kind of like what it's most known for. And, and, and rightfully so, uh, this letter is known for the return of Jesus. Uh, Paul is emphasizing this. One of the reasons that we understand this is because, you know, the early church, they were kind of expecting Jesus to come back any minute. They really, when you read the New Testament, you get that sense that they really anticipated Jesus coming back now. And I know a lot of us think that now today, right? Like Jesus came back today, a lot of us would be like, not, not terribly surprised. I kind of, I kind of saw it coming. I kind of been hoping for it, praying for it, you know. And here, in the moments come, and Jesus is here, but we don't know, right? We don't know. But they anticipated that. That's what they were expecting. That Jesus is going to come back any minute. And here's what was taking place, and we'll get into this a little bit more towards the end. But they noticed, you know, he's not really coming back as soon as we thought. We got some people who are Christians, and they're dying because of their faith. What's God up to? How many of you ever wondered what's God up to? <laughs> yeah, right? A lot of us. What's God up to? What's God up to in the world? What's God up to in our community? What's God up to in our lives? It's not always a positive, you know, wondering, oh, anticipation, excitement. Man, what's God going to No, a lot of times it's like, man, what, God, what are you doing? Are you doing anything? You know, what's happening? Are you in control is everything going to be okay? We've all felt that from time to time. Imagine you're experiencing persecution as a Christian. Wouldn't you be wondering that? Well, they were wondering that, evidently, because Paul addresses it. Paul addresses this to let them know, yes, Jesus is coming, but yes, things are hard. And we're going to have to wait in hopefulness. I'm jumping ahead a little bit, okay? But I just want to point this out because this is what the letter is known for. In fact, if you read the last few lines, last few verses, we call them, last few verses of every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, you're going to find at the end of every chapter Jesus or Paul referencing the return of Jesus. So this is front and center for Paul as he's addressing this church because he wants them to know, yes, things are hard, but there is hope. Yes, things are hard, but there is hope. And in the context of that, he lays out these themes of holiness, of love, and of hopefulness. When he talks about holiness, you see this in 1 Thessalonians 4. Look there with me, the first eight verses there. Paul says, For other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you how you ought to live in order to please God is in fact you are living. Now what you're going to see Paul do is he's going to tell them things that they're doing well and he's going to say, keep on trucking. Don't stop. You're doing great. Keep going. He's motivating and encouraging them to continue to do what they are in fact doing. And what they are doing is they are living in order to please God. And that is the center of all holiness. Is the desire, it's the aim I want to please God. Now, I got to tell you, you know, I have to repent. Too, too often, I want to please me. Even too often, I want to please others. But the center of our holiness is a desire and the aim of our lives to please God. And that is what they were doing, and Paul is encouraging them in that. 
He says, now we ask you and urge you into verse 1 in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Now he's going to get into some interesting stuff here, okay? I don't know if you want to earmuff your kids or not, but I'm just going to read it and you can deal with it later. You're welcome. All right, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should, should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. And he goes on to say, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we, are told, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He says, therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very one who gives you the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying here? If Jesus is coming back, like, like think about that question. And sometimes, you know, you might hear that question. If the world were to end tomorrow, what would you do? Now, if you answer that question honestly, it is very revealing. Like, I, I'm going to eat uh, fried food and sugar like for 24 hours straight and I'm gonna watch Netflix like like that would say something about you right I'm not saying that's what I would do uh, though it does sound very tempting if I'm honest with you uh, but what would you do if you knew the world was gonna end tomorrow what would you do right the way we answer that question even if we wouldn't say it to anyone else the truth reveals what our hearts are after right and Paul is saying Jesus is coming it's, it's guaranteed. He's on the way. We don't know when, but it's happening. In light of that, live holy. Why? Because when Jesus shows up, and he is our life, and we want more than anything to please him, when he shows up, if it happens in our lifetime, we want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what we want. That's what a Christian at their heart should desire. And so if we live in light of that, what that means is we live holy now. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me, because when you hear that, you may feel tons of guilt, tons of shame, because you don't live holy. And I just want to give you a little bit of comfort here, and I want, I want you to know you're in a safe place. Look to your left. Everybody look to your left. Everybody look to your left. Now look to your right. Everybody look to your right. Now everybody pull out your phone and take a selfie. No, I'm kidding. But all of those people, left, right, and center, all of them are unholy. All of them are imperfect. Every one of them is a sinner. Right? What Paul is talking about is what, the, what is the aim? What is the trajectory of your life? Where are you heading? What are your desires? What are you chasing after? And if it's in holiness, I believe, first of all, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Personally, when it's just me and my flesh, I don't want holy things. When the Holy Spirit works in me, well, there's a reason we call him the Holy Spirit. Because he desires to set us apart, which is part of what holiness means. He desires to set us apart unto God, that I may be fully God's. That my aim in life is first and foremost to please the Lord. And so Paul says, if Jesus, who is your life, is coming... We live in light of that, which means we desire to live holy. So you may say, I've blown it more times than I can count. 
Listen, that, that's why there's grace. That's why Jesus came. He died on the cross to forgive your sins. He rose again that you may know that your sins are not the end, but that he grants you eternal life through what he has done, not through what you, you have done. That's what we call the gospel. It's good news. Because your standing with God is not dependent on you. Because if it were dependent on you, you and I would mess that up. But it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on Jesus. And we can't mess that up. Now, we can, we can make things harder. We can, we can create some distance in our life because of sin. But we can never ruin the fact that we're a child of God. That, that will always be the case, that we are children of the living God because through Christ we've been adopted into his family. And now we want to live for him. Not out of fear and trembling, though there's nothing wrong with a healthy respect of God because uh, he deserves that kind of respect. But we live to please him because we know he has first loved us. That's what the scriptures teach in John. We love because he has first loved us. We are responding to his love to us, not in order to gain his love, but as a reflection that he has loved us. So all I'm saying here is when I say, and what, more importantly, when Paul says, live a holy life, it's not in order to please God in a way that earns his love. It's a, it's a way of saying, I, I see that God has loved me even when I was unlovely, and I want to please God by loving him back to the best of my ability with the help of the Holy Spirit. And if that's, that should be every Christian's desire, and if that's your desire, I believe God is going to work in you to make progress in you, however slow that might seem. So that's the first thing, holiness. Paul says it's important as we look ahead to the return of Jesus to live in light of that day and live holy lives. And, and well, I won't get into all that. We'll, we'll move forward into the next one. Love. Paul concludes this section in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. In verse 9, he says, Now about your love for one another. Now, now, if you just stop there, you know, it almost sounds like someone's in trouble, right? Now, about what happened last night. Like, that just has like, you know, this is probably not going to go well, right? But it takes a surprising turn. He says, no. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And all the Thessalonians went, whew. okay. Verse 10, and in fact, you do, in fact, you do love all God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. Here we see it again. You're on the right track. You're doing good. Keep going more and more. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Here's the heart of what he's saying. He's saying, you are loving well. Keep loving well. It begins by this, chapter 1, verse 4. It begins by knowing, as we said earlier, we love because God first loved us. And this is what Paul begins his letter by saying in chapter 1, verse 4. He says, God has loved you. And then Paul goes on to say in chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, I kind of want to read this little section to you because I think it's really beautiful. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, not only does God love them, but Paul says this. Uh, Paul says, we were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles we could have asserted our authority. So, so I'm not going to get into all that, but he, he describes their kind, the kind of relationship. He's saying, 
I don't have to have an authoritarian kind of relationship with you as an apostle. He says, we, we get to enjoy a different kind of relationship. What is our relationship? Verse 7 of chapter 2, he says, Instead, we were like, your child, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. There's a lot of metaphors. He's going to say we were like children, we were like a mother, we were like a father to you. You get this idea that there was, there's love in this family. God loves us as our Heavenly Father, but I love you as a brother in Christ. That's what he's emphasizing. So we cared for you, verse 8, and I love this part. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Sometimes some Christians, in a zeal for sharing the gospel, forget that the gospel is not where it ends. The gospel continues to work itself out in relationship. Paul was not content to just land truth bombs and walk away. He said, I love you so much, i got to tell you the good news of Jesus, and I want to share my life with you. Isn't that beautiful? That's a good word for us as Christians. It's not enough just to speak the truth, as Paul would say in Ephesians. We've got to speak the truth in love. This is a relational faith, y'all. God has made us in his image. And in part, that means we are relational because we see in God he is relational. Do we not? Is there not three persons of the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons who have loved each other eternally from before the foundations of the world. God has been in a loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. He made us in that image that we may have a loving relationship with him and with one another. And Paul is just giving us a little window into that. He's saying, look how I love you guys, and you love me, and I shared the gospel, but I shared my life with you, right? So he's saying, God loves you, I love you, you have a reputation for loving, I want you to lean into that strength and continue to love. We talked about this in our small group this morning as we were reading through James, that love is often called the, the law of love, or in James he calls it the royal law of love, citing Old Testament scripture where we are told, love one another as you have loved yourself. And Jesus says that himself in Matthew 22, that there is no greater commandment than this, that you shall love one another. That all the teachings of the Old Testament are wrapped up in this one big idea that we are to love each other. And Paul explains what love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. We usually hear it in weddings and stuff. But he describes it. It's not merely a feeling, but it is action-oriented. God loves us not, not only with affection, but God acted on that affection when he sent Jesus into the world. And Paul's saying, this should be your heartbeat. In fact, he talks about it a little bit later in that paragraph that we just read, is that your love for the world should show up in the way that you live, that others might gain your respect. And out of that respect, you have an opportunity to show Jesus to the world. So, in light of what is to come, Jesus says, or Paul says, it's important for us to live holy lives. It's important that those lives are marked by love. And it's important to do that with a sense of hopefulness. It's very important. Uh, because, as I said, they were anticipating the return of Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is tearing. And, and i got to be honest, I'm glad Jesus didn't come back in their day. Because now we're here. And if you're a Christian now, you have eternal life, right? God tarries because he loves. He waits because he wants more to enter into the kingdom. 
But there was some confusion about this because they see people dying and they're wondering, well, what's up with this? What's going on? And I'm going to have to wrap this up. Uh, I went a little too long, sorry. But he, he points out, he says, you know, we don't grieve as those without hope. He says in, in a, a little bit later in chapter 4, in verse 13, he says, we don't grieve as those, as the rest of mankind who have no hope. They're looking at their brothers and sisters who are passing away, likely because of persecution. They're rightly grieving. He's not saying we don't grieve. He's saying we don't grieve as those who have no hope. He's saying we grieve as those who have a hope. And the hope is, and he, he explains this to them so they get the picture, that those who are dead right now, who believe in Jesus, that when Jesus returns, they will not stay dead. This is our hope. When Jesus comes back, and I don't have time to get into all this, but just read it for yourselves. He's saying, when Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Those who have believed in Jesus and have passed away, when Jesus returns, they are going to be, read 1 Corinthians 15, their bodies are going to be transformed, fit for an eternity in heaven. Because these bodies are wearing out. Sin has done a number on us. And these bodies are going to wear out. But we are going to be transformed. Our bodies are, our soul is going to be reunited with our body. Our body is going to be fit for heaven. We have this hope that we have to look forward to. We don't live in the darkness, as he says. There are those in the world who live in the darkness. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come like a thief in the night. They're not going to see it coming. This is what he says in chapter 5. He says, but you and I, Christians, we're children of the light. We see what's true. We know what's coming. We don't, we don't really know when, and we don't really know how, but we know that Jesus will come back. And not only will those who are dead in Christ will rise, but those who believe in Jesus will go to be with him. And it's this beautiful picture. Like when, when a conquering king came back to a city, all the people rushed out of the city to meet the king and welcome him back in. This is the picture of 1 Corinthians 15. The dead in Christ go into the sky to meet Jesus as he's returning to earth. So do those who believe in Jesus. They go and meet him in the air as he's returning to earth. And together we come back and we set up a kingdom here on earth of peace and justice forever and ever. Which is what the end of Revelation so beautifully paints this picture for us. That God is going to redeem all he has made. He's going to make all wrong things right. He's going to bring peace on earth. That earth has really never experienced since creation. That's what we have to hope in. That's what we have to look forward to. And because of that, we are in a position to love because we who are unlovely have been loved by God. We are encouraged because of that love to live a holy life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for this beautiful letter that does all the things we talked about earlier. It, it encourages us, it corrects our thinking, it comforts us, it gives us hope, it gives us peace. Thank you, God, for your word and how it speaks to us. God, I just pray your spirit would deal with us now that we might respond in faithfulness to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we have a time of invitation here this morning, and, and maybe there's something specific God is putting on your heart. Maybe it's in the area of, of holiness, and there's some things that you want to strive to be more like Jesus. Maybe it's in the area of love, and you're struggling either to believe that you are loved by God, or you're struggling to let that love translate in how you live amongst other people, right? Or maybe it's hope. You see everything that's happening in the world, and it's just bringing you down, and, and you're, if you're honest with yourself, you're not living with any of, the, any of that hope that Jesus so desperately wants you to have. 
What is God saying to you? That's what this invitation was for. For a few moments, we respond to him. Would you stand with me? Praise the Lord. Lead you to pray. If you need prayer, I would be down here. I would love to pray with you. Let's respond.